Knoxville Game Design, July 2019, Pico 8, with Dylan and Levi. Welcome everyone to Knoxville Game Design for July 2019. This is a monthly discussion of our game projects and topics in the games industry. Uh, this month we currently have online he's in Lenore City. He's the creator of Shifty Shapes, Retro Future, and other games. Dylan Wolf. Hi. And you may know, know me from games such as Kitty's Adventure, I'm in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and I'm Levi Smith. So we'll see if anybody else joins us. Uh, by the way, we meet at the second Sunday of every month. We usually cover one new topic every month. Uh, so let's jump into a little bit of news. Go ahead and screen share. So Dylan and I talked a little bit about this offline, but there's been some talk about Google Hangouts shutting down and it's kind of confusing. There's a whole bunch of different uh, aspects to this. Um, we're not sure if this is, uh, there's like a Hangouts Live or Hangouts on Air and a Hangouts Chat. and So it sounds like only part of it's going to get shut down initially, but in the future it sounds like they're trying to migrate to this G Suite. Um, so we did set up a Discord chat. And we think we may uh, we may look at using that if Google Hangouts is shut down. Yeah, the the way I read that was one. It, it sounds like Google hasn't announced anything. It sounds like like directly, it's it's people kind of picking up bits and pieces and putting them together. Um, but what it sounded like is they're they've got like a Hangouts chat and then Hangouts meet or hang or something else um so it almost sounds like they've got like the webex which which is kind of what we're using and then chat almost sounds like something like slack so um yeah that's what i <clears throat> that's what kind of like what it sounded like to me so hopefully <laughs> if they do shut the web portion down hopefully they replace it to something else but yeah. Yeah, I think we'll know because what the impression I got was that they're going to make changes to G Suite, which is the the commercial uh, version first, and then they're going to be making changes to like the consumer version later. So whatever whatever they do with the G Suite version, we'll probably have a an idea long before it affects us. Oh, okay. Yeah. So just that, that was at least what I got. Yeah, it was very confusing to me. Uh, yeah. So just a heads up to anyone out there who may want to join us. The link may be changing, or we may be... Uh, that kind of leads into my next point. Um, it's on our website. We do have a Discord channel now. So uh, I think I messed up the first link. So this link should be for an infinite amount of time. I think the first link that I created was only for like a day or something. So anybody that wants to join us on Discord... I'm liking this a lot better than the Facebook group because, like, anybody can join in and we don't have to approve people and all that. Um, here's just uh, what we've started right here. So we've already had a few people join in, and I'll, I'll make sure to post the announcements for the meetings and links and things like that uh, to this Discord channel. Okay, so... 
I went ahead and posted the next uh, upcoming meetings. I started to post on the Knox Game Design Forums. Um, so next month, I kind of changed my mind. I'm thinking about doing random number generators. So that's something I'm definitely not an expert in, but something I'm interested in, and it's kind of a popular topic right now, especially in the speedrunning community. Um, so I'm going to do a little bit of research into that. Uh, September, I plan to do either Java or Smalltalk, and then just a reminder, Ludum Dare has moved up to October. It's only twice a year, so we'll do a Ludum Dare 45 show-off that month. So I think that she'll, uh, I forget the actual start date, but we'll probably have a uh, get-together kickoff meeting at Panera Bread that Friday when it kicks off. So if anybody out there wants to do a talk, you're definitely welcome. And if you're really burning to do a talk and you want to do one in August 2019, that, that's perfectly fine. Just let me know or make a post to the forums. And like these dates are not set in stone. So, you know, just let me know or post to the forums and we'll get you scheduled in here. So I think this is going to be a little bit better than like uh, than what we we're doing. So this kind of gives everybody an idea of what's coming up. Um, I did notice uh, we had a new member, new person that joined us last month. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, Blake. And I saw he actually had a post on the forums. Uh, see if I can find it. But he was having issues getting his account set up. I'm looking game discussion, site information. Oh, I think it's right here. So, yeah, Mike Neal set up these forums on the Knox game design website so I'm not that I'm not an expert in this oh so maybe he got his set up because before it was like this really weird uh, ID right here but he was having problems getting his account verified I know this has always been really wonky uh, yeah so, yeah D Dylan I don't know if you've had any experience with these forums no I think I had to set up some of the the um authentication when uh, I started hosting it mm -hmm. for um, it's integrated into Facebook so I think that's an issue um, uh, personally I would probably you know try to move more towards using discord for stuff like that because it's a little bit easier to set up than WordPress is yeah that's true yeah I know there's like three different authentication mechanisms you can use it's like uh, the, your Google account, uh, as you mentioned, Facebook or Twitter or something. And if you don't do it in the right order, if you try to link two in at the same time, yeah, it, it's just a mess. So, yeah, people are welcome to post here. but uh, And if you have any problems, just let me know, and I can try to do the best I can. So I just went into his account, and it had he had problems verifying his email address. So I went in there and looked at his user account, and his email was just blank. So I just like forced it like food at example.com, and apparently it looks like that fixed the problem here. So... Okay, so that's the forum. Uh, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, so, Dylan, you, did you have anything you wanted to talk about or show off this month? Uh, no, I haven't done a ton of stuff oh, okay. uh, lately, like that's... game design related stuff. So, All right, that's fine. Uh, I was going to show off a couple of things. Uh, I've been working on just touching up some of my older games. 
Um, well, first of all, I'll show off the uh, thing that I've been working most on. I have uh, this Unity build tool is written in, I've been writing that in Ruby. And the purpose of this tool is I have like 65 Unity games. And if I need to upgrade all those games to a new version or change some aspect of those games, uh, uh oh, yeah, uh, it, it just took an immense amount of time to go through and update every single game, update, open and update every single one. So every time I need a new function, I just add a new button <laughs> to help me do something. Um, so basically you have, it, it scans a list of games up here in your projects directory and all these are configurable in a configuration file, in a text file. Um, it used to be able to detect the Unity version uh, by reading one of the Unity configuration files, but that no longer works because of the new Unity hub. Uh, so you actually have to set this through the config file now. <clears throat> and then you just tell it the place of the Unity executable. And again, that's something I'd like to have it automatically pick up. But yeah, you can basically just check these games. So if you have like three Unity games, it does go in and find, looks at the asset folder, determines if it is a Unity game. And like the thing that I use most is this compile command. So it'll compile for Windows, Max, Linux, and WebGL. Uh, if you do this the manual way, you got to open up Unity, switch it to a Mac project or Windows and Mac, and build for Windows, and then build for Mac. And then if you want to do WebGL, you got to switch it to a WebGL project, and and all that. And so now I have it where it'll just go through all the projects that you have selected, and you can select them all by clicking this top checkbox, uh, and it'll go through and compile all that. And then when it's done, it'll give you an audio cue. That's a problem that it had before is I'd have to be looking back every two minutes to see if it's finished, and so now it says job's done whenever it's finished. I did like an impression of the peon from War, uh, the original Warcraft. So it has an audio cue of when everything's finished. And also I added this ability to zip up all the files, which is helpful in loading your projects, uploading them to a website like GameJolt or someplace like that. The original purpose of this was, and I don't see a project that's out of date right now, but I was trying to find out which projects were using an old version of Unity so I could upgrade those. So if you do have one that's out of date, it will be highlighted down here, usually in red if it's like a major version behind, or yellow if it's a minor version behind. Uh, so yeah, I did start a wiki page on my website for the description of this tool. So I've just been updating this Unity build tool page. Uh, it tells you how to install it and you get Ruby and you install these gems. Here's the config file where you can set different properties. Um, and like I talked about the compiling, all the different little functions in here. Um, it gives you, it has a tool to find the different scenes in your project. So you can just click on that like Ancient Adventure, Find Unity Scenes, and it should come back with the scenes names. Uh, you can enter a slug, which is helpful if you're loading this to a WordPress site, things like that. If you have projects that you just want to ignore for a while, you can set that to ignore. Yeah, there's the Unity Scenes for Ancient Adventure. So the reason I did this was I had a lot of projects with scenes that I weren't using or just uh, need to be deleted. <clears throat> so that gives you a list of all the scenes in uh, the selected projects. 
one thing that I really like about it, like if I want to go to, say, Bag Boy and say Open Build Folder, that will go directly to this project and open the build folder within that project, which is helpful in finding where your executables are. Uh, you can also clear your build folder, so they'll just delete all the files if you want to do a clean build. In some of the older versions of Unity, it will create a lot of Visual Studio files that are no longer needed, especially if you move to Visual Studio Code and you want to clean up all those old Visual Studio files, you can just click that and it'll delete all those. <clears throat> Whenever you create a new Unity project now, it has this package manager. And it adds a lot of stuff that I don't ever use, like ads and analytics and all that. <clears throat> So this will attempt to remove those default packages from your Unity project, just to make it a little bit cleaner. Uh, you may have to go in and actually run something after. Uh, I'll save that for another talk. <laughs> uh, a lot of my projects were out of date, and it requires a .NET upgrade uh, from 3.5 to 4.0. Some of the old, older stuff in 3.5 no longer works, so this will attempt to automatically update the API version of all selected projects. Uh, update project settings. I need to document this a little bit better. It's on the wiki, but that will basically go in. I think it updates the company name, which is now set to a parameter in your configuration file. So if I want to go through all my projects and like update them all to Levi D. Smith, what I did, or if I, if I wanted to update it to Dylan Wolf, I just set that in my config file and I'll go through all those projects and update all those um, <clears throat> that property in the Unity project, the author or company name. Uh, it, I think it will also, no, that's over here, uh, delete all obsolete scripts. I think this was another cleanup function. Oh, this is for, like, my old scripts that I had installed, some upload scripts. Uh, that's kind of something for my use. And package cache, uh, this basically tells you which packages are installed. Again, that's for, hey, I got projects with a lot of Unity packages that I'm not using. What can I delete? And it will show those. Uh, copy scripts. This will copy the autosave script, which I find very useful into your the selected Unity projects. Uh, make upload script. This is useful for loading your projects up to Itch.io. It uses Butler. Uh, so it auto generates those files and it uses the slug that you defined here as the project name on the itch.io folder. So if you don't have that defined, I think it will prompt you for that. Uh, <clears throat> and it saves all those in another configuration file called, I think, slug.config. And finally, call upload script. That will actually just call the uh, Butler upload script for itch.io and upload those directly. I wish there was an automated way to load to Game Jolt as well, but I haven't found out how to do that yet. Um, a couple other projects that I've been working on. This is an old project for 2013 called Turn Back the Clocks. Uh, when I first wrote this, it was very simple. I was just starting to learn Unity. Oh, another reason for doing uh, the build tool is I wanted to add a splash screen to all my games without having to open every single one. So that's another, I think that's a part of the um, upload settings or upload build uh, that I had in there. So yeah, it's basically a simple clock. It tells the correct time. I want to go in here and add a bunch more clocks. Uh, but before this was just like a broken clock. So now it tells the correct 
time. It's got the hours, minutes, and second hands. It's got this little sound effect in the background. And also added like real physics so you can actually walk around and th things like that. So yeah, just a simple clock. Uh, worked a little bit on the Monster Hotel game. I updated the physics in that. Let's see your Monster Hotel. Uh, so it kind of just looks the same as it did before. Monster Hotel Windows. Uh, but I do have like the new Unity uh, UI. Removed, I actually removed all the Playmaker stuff in here. And so people listening online can hear the music. All of the monsters in Monsterland. But yeah, I com completely redid the physics of this so it protects it a little bit better. I noticed in uh, really yeah, in the previous version, the web build, the physics just wasn't working right. So yeah, that was basically my simple Lemmings clone. And let's see here, was there another game that I updated? Oh yeah, the Yahtzee dice game. So one nice thing about uh, this game is this is used to play Yahtzee a long time ago, or Yahtzee. Yahtzee is the public domain free version of Yahtzee. Uh, I did get it where the high scores work through the web build, so if you play online and submit a score, then it will show up here. But basically I used real time the Unity physics so you can roll these dice and uh, it highlights which combinations you have. So it's like you got fives and fours. So let's just pick the two fours. You can hold different, whichever ones you want. Then re-roll the ones that you uh, that you don't select. So you're trying to get like these different combinations like a Yahtzee. So I got four fours. That's four of a four kind. Of a so then that adds to your score right there. And you keep playing until you just fill out all these and then you that's your final score. One pair. And then you can submit to the leaderboard. So I do have it where you can view the leaderboards through the game, or you can just go to the leaderboards linked here, and you can see the scores right there. Okay, so that was my show-off for this month. Close that. So the main topic for this month is Pico 8. Um, so here's an overview. <coughs> Of Pico 8. It's called the Fantasy Console. Uh, it plays very simple games with very simple graphics that kind of look like retro NES style games. Uh, once you create your game, it saves it to an image file. It's actually, you can save it as a PNG. It's kind of embedded <clears throat> in an image file. They call these carts. Uh, the website is this lexelawful.com. I'll go ahead and bring that up right here. So yeah, <clears throat> you can either buy Pico 8 from this website or view the various games they have out there. They got quite a library. They got documentation and things like that. <clears throat> um, once you develop your game, you can upload it to their website repository. A few things that makes Pico, Pico 8 a little bit different. Uh, it's all in lowercase characters, no uppercase characters. If you use shift, it will give you these special characters. Um, 
these games that you can create, you can either play them offline. If you play them offline, then the person playing the game has to have a copy of Pico 8 installed. Uh, or if you make a web build, then you can post it online for anybody to play. <clears throat> uh, you can get Pico 8 for $14.99. I think there's actually a bundle for $20, and you get like an additional through the other, uh, other tool for creating like 3D voxel Minecraft type objects. But yeah, I think this actually goes through the Humble Store and you can get it for Steam. That's how, no, I don't run it through Steam. So yeah, maybe there's not Steam codes for this. I, I can't remember. But yeah, once you get it, you get a DRM free license. You can download it for Windows, Mac, or Linux. <clears throat> and Pico 8 uses Lua. I think it may just be a subset of Lua, but there's a lot of good documentation online for programming in Lua. <clears throat> yeah, it's just a simple scripting language, kind of like Ruby or Perl, uh, languages like that. I actually started uh, writing Lua code probably about 10 years ago when I was playing World of Warcraft because all of the World of Warcraft add-on plug-in scripts you know, were written in Lua. So that's how you wrote World of Warcraft plugins. So I, I've been, I started with Pico 8, um, I think in 2015 I wrote my first game. <clears throat> it's called uh, Lexip, which is pixel spelled backwards. I'll go ahead and start it up here. So you should be able to just type in load Lexip. And then you just type run. So it's a really simple game where you control this guy, you walk around, you collect the coin. Oh, 2017 is when I started using this. So basically you just walk around, you avoid the little alien type guys, and just make it to the exit. Yeah, if you do hit one of the guys and you lose one heart, you got three total hearts, and you die. So you get to the exit, and it's basically the same game after that. <clears throat> okay. So... Yeah, it's been pretty popular in the game development scene. I've seen a lot of uh, Ludum Dare entries using Pico 8. <clears throat> so the pros of Pico 8, it's easy to get started. You just download it, put it on your system, and you're good to go. It has a built-in sprite editor, so you can edit sprites <clears throat> right there from the tool itself. It has a level editor. Uh, and you can also create sound effects and music directly in the editor. <clears throat> it has web builds. You can make web builds by default. No additional add-ons or anything you need to buy. So you just create your game and export it. And it'll create the HTML file and JavaScript file. You need to upload it to a website or upload it to Itch.io or GameJolt, places like that. <clears throat> the one good thing is, like, your gamepad automatically works by default. I mean, even if you're... Uh, doing a web build or anything. I tested that out and there's like no additional configuration to do to get a gamepad to work. Uh, the games are very fast and to load and play. Just load it up and in a few seconds you're playing. And it's easy to share the files. Usually they're just a few kilobytes so if you give somebody your Pico 8 game they don't have to spend a long time downloading your game or anything. And it also has a cool tool called Splore. It's a repository of Pico 8 games that have been uploaded to the website. So just type in Splore. 
and use left and right to navigate around and it has a lot of these games that you can go through and uh, play uh, I was playing a let's see here yeah like a breakout game you just click that and you click run and you're, you're good to go you're playing somebody else's game from the repository so you just uh, exit that right there and you can also make your add favorite games and add your own games and jams and I, I really haven't got into all this as a file explorer so you can find the games on your own system too so, yeah really cool tool right there um, and the other good thing is I was, a couple of years ago I was telling somebody about Pico 8 that was also a Pico 8 user and they're like, hey, what's your game? And I was like, well, it's called Lexop. And I was like, well, it's on the website and everything. So they were able to just type in Splore and find Lexop, search for that, and they're up and running with my game. It's like I didn't have to tell them a URL or anything like that. You just tell them the name of the game, the name, the identifier of your game on the website, and they're good to go. The other good thing is there's lots of examples. So for like that simple game that I just downloaded, that breakout game, you can just press escape and you got access to all their code right here. So if you want to learn, if you want to get in here and see how somebody did something, it's pretty much all open source. <clears throat> so it's a good way to learn. So the bad things about the cons for Pico 8 limited resolution you only have 128 by 128 pixels which is not a lot i mean uh, typically like 1080p is 1920 by 1080 and even the old old games i used to play on my 386 were uh, 640 by 480 so this is even smaller than that i think this is actually smaller than the nes which was like 320 by 240. you only have 16 colors to work with uh, and with all this stuff, I think there's ways to hack it to do more. So I'm just talking about like the base default settings. I've seen some people do some really wild stuff with Pico 8. So if you really get into the low level functions, and you, I think you may be able to get more colors, but by default, 16 colors. Uh, there's not a lot of helper functions with this. I was kind of expecting that there'd at least be like a collision function. Uh, so that you have to write all the collision code yourself and and like simple things you would think it would include it doesn't so I recommend if you're a beginner not jumping in directly with Pico 8 you if you're just starting out I would recommend either Game Maker or Scratch uh, those handle things like collision detection for you <clears throat> Uh, it's not easy to load external resources from other files, such as graphics files or music files. You pretty much have to use their editor to create everything. Um, there's no like consoles. If you want to put your game on a console, you're probably going to have a hard time <laughs> exporting it from Pico 8. Not saying it can't be done, but uh, yeah. But you may be able to use Pico 8 as a prototyping tool for another game that you create. Limited number of lines of code. Uh, it says 8,192 tokens, which I, I think is like a, an if or a then or a for or something like that or an open brace. I don't know about strings, if it counts each character as a token or not. That's something I'll have to test. And you can only have 65,000 total characters in your game. 
Uh, the other big thing that I think is missing, there's no concept of, of a room or a scene, like a room in Game Maker or a scene in Unity. So if you want to have a title screen and then your game and maybe an ending screen, you got to put all that in one file, in one workspace, which gets kind of icky to work with. So anyway, here's the basic Hello World in Pico 8. You start it up, which I already showed. And so basically, to switch into edit mode, you press escape. Uh, let's see here. Let's, I forget the command. I'm just going to close this whole thing out because I can't remember the the clear command. I think it's reload or something like that. But it's just so, so quick just to <laughs> restart it like that. So I'm going to go over here and do the print. You gotta remember, you gotta do it all in lowercase. Print hello world. And you just press escape. Oops, no, you don't wanna do it there. You wanna press escape first. Then you wanna print hello world. Then run. And it prints hello world. So that's your simple hello world for Pico 8. Um, if you do have a program that's running, then you just press escape to stop the running program. And as I mentioned, escape switches between the editor mode and the console mode. Pico 8 has a few different data types. The standard type is kind of like a scalar type that you would see in like Ruby or Perl. Uh, it can either hold a, a number, either like an integer or a float or a double. I don't know if it does doubles. Uh, there is limitations on uh, floating point numbers. Uh, you can hold a string <clears throat> or a, true, a Boolean true or false value. If you do have a string, you can concatenate uh, other values using dot dot that's your concatenation operator <clears throat> it does have the concept of add and assign so if you have foo equals 42 you can do foo plus equals 2 to get 44 uh, but there's no increment operator so you can't do plus plus or minus minus your comparison operators are greater than less than and you use a double equal sign for equality and there's a document <clears throat> online that tells you about all these different uh, operators. So just this is just the high-level ones that I typically use. It also has a concept of a table, with, which is like an array or a hash. So you can create that using like my table equals, and you just do a, uh, an open curly and a closed curly brace. That creates a table. Or you can put different properties within the curly braces. Like here I have name equals hello. Or you can manually set those properties by using like mytable.name and assign it that way. It also has a concept of sequences, which are declared the same way as a table. Actually, I think a sequence is a special form of a table. Uh, so in a sequence, you can define an object, then you create an empty sequence, and then use the dot add. Uh, method then you pass in your object and that will create like an array and remember in Lua uh, if you're not aware uh, all indexes start at 1 instead of 0 so if you add an object to the sequence you want to print it out just say print my sequence then access it with square brackets 1 then whatever property you want that will print out that value and also something very helpful is the, the hashtag or the pound sign and then the name of your sequence, and that will tell you the length of that sequence. 
It has your basic control structures such as if and else if. Else if is all one word with no spaces. Remember to use then after your if, and it's definitely important. And also you close all loops and things like that with an end statement. So it's kind of like Ruby in that way. Got your for statement, so if you want to count between certain values, or a while statement, and make sure you exit your whiles there, or <laughs> it'll get stuck in an infinite loop. Um, so it has your basic logic comparisons, or and a not. It doesn't have like the double pipe or single pipe or ampersands and all that. You actually just type in the word or and a not. And one nice feature is it has this for each. So if you do have like one of those sequences or an array, you can say for each value in that array, you can pass it a function. So this will call, like in this example, the do something function for each value in that sequence. And then it will pass that value as the first parameter to that function. So I actually use that quite a bit. So what I recommend everybody do in like your first game, aside from Hello World, is do a number guessing game. So this really teaches all the basics of, uh, of a, any game programming environment that you use. So I'm going to do a lo lo load num guess. Uh, I don't want to save that. So, oh no, num guess. Oh no, I think I... Continue with lo oh. load num guess. So I want to load. Okay. So I switched over to the edit mode. So we got a secret number, which I currently have set to negative one. We have the number that the person has guessed, the number of guesses in this result holder, and then a Boolean to tell you whether the game is over or not. Uh, here in a couple of slides, I'll talk about the functions, the main functions that a Pico 8 program has, but I'll just go over that for now. But when it starts up, it's going to pick a secret number from 0 to 100, and it's going to set the number of guesses to 0. And then for every frame, it's going to check the input. So this is kind of like in the style of an old uh, Final Fantasy game, the inventory game. So if you press left, then you decrement by 10. If you press right, it increments by 10. If you press up, then it goes up by 1. Or if you press down, it goes down by 1. Then if you press either, you have two buttons. It's kind of like an old school NES. You have two input buttons aside from the D-pad. Pressing either of those will confirm your guess. So if the number that you guess, uh, let's see here. This just has some simple balance checking right here. So it doesn't let you go over 100 for your guess or under zero. It's got some simple output display there for what you've guessed. And whenever you press one of those confirm buttons, this actually checks. If the number that you guessed is lower than the secret number, it's going to say, oh, that your that actual number is higher. Pick a number higher. If it's great, if the one that you pick is greater, then it's going to say, hey, the actual number is lower. Or if it equals, it's got the double equal signs. If the guessed number is equal to the secret number, then say, hey, you got the right number. You win. Set game over to true. Then after every guess, you're just going to increment the number of guesses by one. So we're just going to type run. So I'm going to press 
right. So I'm going to increment that up to 50, then press confirm. So it's going to tell me lower 50. So I'm going to go down to 25. It's lower than 25. So let's do 12, higher than 12. So let's do, say, 20, lower than 20. So it's between 12 and 20. Let's do 17. Still lower than 17, so let's do 15. Higher than 15. 16 is correct, you win. So, yeah, very simple Pico 8 game. <clears throat> As I just demonstrated, saving and lo loading games after you edit a game and create one, you can save it by typing save in the file name .p8. If you want to load a game, same thing, file name .p8. You can also do a save.p8.png, and that will actually save your game out to an image file. It will prompt you to uh, create a like a thumbnail image. So you just play your game and you press F7, and that will create the thumbnail image for the game, and that will be used for that PNG file. If you want to make a web build, you use export, and then the file name and HTML. Um, folder. I don't think I used folder. Shows this uh, save game folder. Yeah, typically don't use that right there. Um, oh yeah, so when you're setting this up, it's going to pick this really weird place for your games. But if you go into this location right here, uh, users, username, app data, roaming, Pico8 config, remember to change username to the actual user you're logged in as. So I think I'm Gautech without an H. So that will load in the Pico8 configuration file. Um, once you first install and start Pico8, it's going to be this really tiny window. So the first thing I do is like set the size to 1024 by 768 just to make it easier to see. Um, if you scroll down here to the bottom, uh, it's got entries for save data and yeah here's the one that you really want to look out for is this root path you can set this to whatever location where you want the uh, your save files to be saved or what they call carts where you want your carts to be saved um, yeah so that's basically the major configuration points that uh, I make for Pico 8 uh, okay some more console commands I guess reboot closes the current project so earlier I could just type to reboot and that would have closed out the other one if you want to start a new game shutdown closes out Pico 8 it's not quit it's not exit it's shutdown help will give you uh, information about other commands that you can use such as explore or configuring your keys or uh, navigating the file system LS will show all the games that you current or all the files in your current location so if you're looking for your games just type ls and then you type cd to change the directory another nice uh there is a command for loading examples which i think i'll talk about on the next one yeah so you just type install demos and this will install some demo programs for you so uh and type in like load api after you oh, cd into demos cd into demos I think DRR works as well for listing a directory. So you can do load, API, then run. So this gives you some basic debug information, how to detect key presses and things like that. 
Uh, you can do load hello. Run. It's kind of a different style of hello world. With the words hello world with cool rainbow effects. And you can do load gel P. And run that. So this is basically a simple platformer. So if you're looking to make a platformer in Pico 8, this may be a good starting point to use right here. So yeah, that has all the information about how to make music if you need examples or how to do sprites and maps and things like that. Exit out of that, clear screen. So yeah, as I was talking about earlier, there's three special functions in Pico 8. Uh, the first is, I'll, I have the first listed last, but the first is init. Uh, that start called it the start of program execution. So if you have anything that you need to start up at the beginning of your game, <clears throat> put that in init. You have an update, and this is very similar to a lot of game development environments, such as XNA or uh, yeah, I don't know a lot of other, and even uh, I think yeah, Unity has like a start and an update. But this has draw, so this is kind of like the old XNA where you have update and draw. So update, you want to put all your game logic in there, and your and it's actually preceded by an underscore. So it's underscore update and underscore draw, and all functions start with the keyword function, and you end it with an end. Uh, but yeah, you put all your game logic in update, and you put all your drawing code in draw. I don't know what would happen if you actually put draw code in your update. I haven't tested that. But I just wouldn't recommend it. It just makes your code much cleaner if you follow that convention. So drawing, there's some primitives that you can use. <clears throat> Basic rectangle, you give it an use direct command and give it an X and Y position for the starting position and X and Y as an ending position and then a color. And the colors are basically just integers 1 through 15, which I had listed on that, that first slide. <clears throat> So doing rec 0, 0 to 50, 50 with 11 will draw a green rectangle, size 50. And that will just do an outline. So if you want to fill that, you actually call rect fill. That will do a filled rectangle. And draw circles using the CIRC. We'll draw an outline of a circle. And circ fill will draw a filled circle. And if you want to draw a line, there's also a line command. I think there's actually another command for just drawing a single pixel and getting pixels as well. Uh, sprites, you use the SPR command, you pass it in the index of your sprite, which I'll talk about in a little bit, then an X and a Y location. There's actually an overloaded function, there's an overloaded call to it, where you can actually pass in the width and height, and whether you want to flip that sprite left or right, which is helpful in, like, side-scrollers, where you want to flip the sprite the other way when you start moving a different direction. Inputs, uh, it's kind of like an NES controller without a start and select. Uh, you have your four gamepad directions, which are mapped to 1 to 0 to 3. And you use the BTN method to determine if that button is pressed. Um, then you have B 4 and 5, BTN 4 and 5, which is what they call like the circle button and the X button, which actually def maps to the keyboard Z, C, and N for a circle, then X, V, and M for an X. <clears throat> There's actually a command called BTNP, which is nice, which actually detects if that button was pressed that frame or on that update call. But I did a little bit of testing with this, 
And the downside is it kind of works like a word processor when you hold down a key. Like you get that character, that first frame, then it starts repeating. So I actually have that in the number guessing game. Let me go back up. So I want to load, num, guess, continue with load, then run. So if I press that, then you can see it'll continually update. Now if I didn't use button P, then it'll go up, it'll go up one by every frame. Um, so if you really wanted to know if it's only pressed during that frame, you kind of got to detect the previous state of that button and compare it with the next state. Uh, I did read that there's experimental like support for direct keyboard input, but I think that isn't official or anything yet. That'd kind of be a nice to have, and like that'd be one reason I'd recommend GameMaker or something over this. So there are a few helpful built-in functions. Like I mentioned earlier, use RND to get a random number. And whatever number you pass in, it'll give you a random number between 0 and that number. So RND will give you a number between 0 and 100. Uh, if you need a number between like 50 and 100, what you would do is you just say 50 plus RND 50. Uh, so you just start with the lower, you add the lower bound, then you subtract off like the range value at the top. And also uh, the FLR command, uh, that, ret that returns the floor or rounds the uh, floating point number down. This is kind of like an integer cast right here is what I use it for. So uh, yeah, the random RND returns a float. So to get that as an actual integer, you got to use FLR. Uh, CLS clears the screen, which I usually do on every draw frame. But if you're clearing the whole screen anyway, then you may not need to call that. If you're doing like a game where the camera moves around the world, and you just call camera and you tell it the position of the camera. And also, you can use the same print command to print. Uh, at a specific location just by passing the coordinates that you want to print at and the color of the text. So doing print hello 8169 will print hello at the position 816 in orange. And I think that starts from the top of the font going down. So if you do print hello at 8.0, it should print at the very top of the screen, which is different than a lot of game programming environments where if you print at the top of the screen, it's doing the baseline of the font. Uh, here's the sprite editor right here, which I briefly mentioned. Let me go ahead and uh, load uh, space shooter improved. Oh no, list simple. Load simple shooter improved. Press escape. So yeah, you got your major functions here at the top. So you can click on the little goblin looking guy right there. And that'll give your sprite editor. All sprites are 8 by 8 pixels. And if you want to do animation, you just do a, a new frame. So I've got this guy where his mouth is kind of moving. Then i got a ship where uh, the colors on the top. The red and blue lights alternate, and I got a red guy right there. But yeah, it's got your basic pencil, or you can just like put a pixel right there, or erase. And also copy and uh, paste using Control C and Control Z. Let me put his leg back there. <laughs> and it's got a flood fill as well. So very simple sprite editor. 
yeah, so you can actually make the area a little bit bigger. I think, uh, yeah, it's got these controls if you want to make the pencil size bigger or if you want to edit 16 by 16 you just drag that over there I'm not sure what these little circles here are so I'm not gonna get into that <laughs> uh, audio it has a very simple audio editor I found it kinda difficult to use but it can do simple sound effects uh, like that and you can move between the different sound effects right here so you just use your mouse and you draw I don't know how to delete parts of a sound effect. The music editor is very sim similar. You basically use those sound effects or note patterns that you create and you drag them in here and it's got options for uh, looping and things like that. So if you want a continuous music playing in the background. And you call the sound effects using SFX and the <clears throat> index which it tells you right here at the top. You can also speed up and slow down the sound effects by dragging this left and right or pressing up and down. And you got different waveforms here. You got like eight different waveforms that you can use to either give it a like a sine wave or a square wave or a triangle or a staticky sound, things like that. Okay, so functions as I mentioned earlier, yeah. So you start with function in it with end. Uh, you can also return a value, so it, that's optional. Okay, so here's a little simple space shooter that I've been working on. I'll go through the different steps that I use to create this. Let's go back out. Let's do load simple shooter. Uh, no underscore shooter zero zero one. Press escape go back to the code so whenever I'm making a new game such as a space shooter the first thing that I want to do is just get something moving around so we're going to have an init function we're going to say at an X and Y location like near the bottom center of the screen and we're also going to figure out the uh, assign a ship width and height which is 8 by 8 and when you're doing input, you can just like assign a static value, but it really doesn't, it feels really rigid when you're moving around. So it's a good practice always to use a velocity value. So it's like when you let go of the button, then you start to gradually slow down and it isn't like an instant stop. But some cases you want that. Uh, but yeah, so I have a velocity X and Y. And then I have a draw function, which draws the ship to the screen. So right now we're just using a solid rectangle using the rect field command. And then we're going to handle the input in the update function. So I'm just going to check the four directional keys and then add or subtract, add to the velocity if one of those directional keys is held down. If none of the keys are held down or in a specific direction, then we're going to subtract to the velocity. Then on every frame, we're going to add that velocity to the ship's location. Is it is it like Unity or XNA where there's a, a length of frame time? so you can smooth that out um no you can't switch it between 30 frames and 60 frames um, okay a second but i think you actually have to manually do that yourself any of the smoothing things like that yeah i guess it's so low powered that you just you can assume you're going to get 30 frames per second out of it yeah yeah i think the 60 frames is experimental uh, and it says that will break all the old games or make them run very, very fast <laughs> if you use that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, 
I've had problems using this if I just want to, uh, especially when you're com dealing with very small fractions of velocity, uh, like a point two or something, then you don't notice the change until it rolls all the way over to one, the next pixel. So, yeah, sometimes these values are so small it really doesn't even matter. But if you're actually doing a, a full game, like in another language, uh, like an XNA or something, where you got 720p or 2080p, then the velocity would make m m more of a difference in that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, so... Oh, and one other interesting uh, function in here. I guess I could just show it right here. So this is the code that was really small on the other screen. Um... There's also a sign command, SGN, which gives the uh, sign. So if you're going uh, left, then you'll have a negative sign value. Let's see here. Forget what Velocity one. Da, 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 da. Okay, here it is. So if you want to, this is kind of like a, a bound command, or I forget what they call it uh, in, in Unity. Uh, not LERP, something similar to that. But it basically, a clamp, clamp. This is similar to clamp, it's called mid. Uh, the M's look kind of funky right there. So if I want to clamp the ship's position between 0 and 128, which is a screen width or screen height minus the ship width, then I use this mid 0, then pass in the current X position, and then 128 minus the ship width. So that will constrain, and then you assign that back to the ship's like X position. And that will constrain the ship's position on the screen. Just a, kind of a quick and dirty method to do that uh, without writing a whole bunch of if-then gobbledygook. and get it with one function right there. And yeah, mid, I think w what is intended by the name there is it returns the middle value of these three parameters. So if ship X goes negative, then the mid value will be zero. Or if ship X goes over 128, then the mid value will be 128 right there. Okay, so let's run this. So this is this is kind of like the Rothschilding where I have different run points saved in here. So yeah, this is this is just our box. So I recommend everybody out there that wants to wants to get started, start out making a box, get a box moving around. That's the first step. So the second step, <clears throat> so you have a couple of different options after you get your box moving. And either, I like doing the shooting next. I mean, you could do enemies next, but in this example, I'm gonna do shooting. So we're gonna use that table or array that I mentioned earlier. So you're gonna have a array of bullets or a sequence of bullets. And each bullet is going to have an X position, a Y position, and a lifetime. So we don't want the bullet to live forever. So after a certain amount of time, we're going to kill the bullet. Then we're going to add that bullet to the bullet's list, or the bullet sequence. And then we're going to create uh, a function called draw bullet. So in the draw function, we're going to say for every bullet that's in that bullet sequence, draw that bullet. And I'm just going to use a circle filled circle and draw it at the X and Y position. And in the update bullet, we're just going to subtract. I'm not using velocity here. I'm just subtracting one off the bullet's Y position. I know, by the way, it is, it uses 
the coordinates where y increases as you go down the screen, which may be different than some other game programming environments. So for every frame we're going to add, or every update, we're going to add one to the bullet lifetime. If the bullet lifetime is greater than 60, so yeah, by default, 30 frames or 30 updates a second. So this is going to be two seconds. After two seconds, we're going to delete that bullet from the bullets list. And whenever you press the, the button down, then we're going to spawn that bullet. So yeah, let me go back. Do load simple shooter 002. Ah, keep missing the L. Simple shooter 2. <clears throat> so yeah, there's the two bullets that I've created. And in the draw, we're just going to draw our ship again. And then we're going to call the for each. Loop through every bullet and call draw bullet for every bullet. So we're just going to draw a circle fill. Then the update function, if you press button 4, which is one of the, like an A or B on the NES, then we're going to use a ship shooting delay so that makes it so you can't shoot a bullet every frame. That would almost look like a flamethrower or something. We're going to create a new bullet. Set the X position to the ship's X position. Y position to ship's Y. Actually, you'd probably want to like offset the bullet just a tiny bit to be in front of the ship. Set the lifetime to zero. And then add that bullet to the bullet's list and set the shoot delay to 30. So on every frame, it's going to subtract from shoot delay until it's zero. So if shoot delay is zero, then it lets you shoot a bullet. <clears throat> and yeah, here's the update bullet, <clears throat> as I mentioned earlier. So let's run this. Yeah, so I guess I already had <coughs> two spawn there from the beginning. So when I press the Z button, then we're going to get bullet shooting at the location of the ship. It actually spawns at the upper left-hand corner, just because of the way that the rectangle is drawn. Uh, in later code, you'll see that I actually have the rectangle offset by half the width and half the height. Okay, so the next thing we want to do is add some enemies that you can shoot at. So there's a couple of different takes you can, or a couple of different approaches, like you can't have enemies spawn throughout the game, or you can't have them all spawn at the beginning, but for each enemy we're going to track an X position, a Y position, a width and a height, and a lifetime. Um, I think I should change that to a radius here in a little bit. So we're going to create that enemy, add it to the enemies list that we create, and for each enemy we're going to draw the enemy. Right now it's just going to be a rectangle. <clears throat> and a solid filled rectangle and on every frame we're going to uh, move it uh, to the left or right one pixel so let's load that load simple shooter I think it's three yeah so I got two enemies moving back and forth I don't think I can shoot them yet. So yeah, right now the bullets just go completely through the enemies and you can collide with the enemies. But hey, you got something on the screen. They're moving around and doing stuff. So that's the first step. <clears throat> so next thing you want to do is add collision between the bullets and the enemies. There's two different approaches you can take with this. 
in this game, I decided to do uh, a different approach than I usually do. I use distance type collision, which is based on circles. So if you calculate the distance between a bullet and the enemy, and that distance is less than the radius of the bullet plus the radius of the enemy, then you know those two circles uh, intersect with each other. It's a really simple line of code. You just calculate distance by using Pythagorean theorem. You take the difference between the x's, you square those. You take the difference, difference between the y's, you square that. And then you take the square root of all that, and that gives you the distance. So it's basically your a squared plus b squared equals c squared for determining uh, the distance or the hypotenuse of a right triangle. So that's one of those things that would be nice if Pico 8 had a collision detection already built in, so you wouldn't have to do this yourself. Uh, the other method is using bounding boxes uh, or hit boxes, and that's kind of a clunky if-then statement, which I'm not going to get into right here. Um, yeah, I'll try, okay, yeah. So yeah, if it's, if it's less than collide. Uh, so I think I have that loading. Yeah, load simple. I guess I'll just change that right there. Load that. Run that. So yeah, now I'm shooting, and yeah, it's a little bit off because these are rectangles right here. But uh, yeah, you got simple collision detection right there. So basically, you're having to. Uh, you're losing a little bit of precision because you're using a circle bounding box on a on a rectangle right there. But if you got like circular shaped enemies, is like the circle collision will probably be better, which is what I'll show here in a minute. Okay, so you got your enemies and you got your shooting, you got your ship moving around. So basically, you got a simple game working now. Um, some improvements to this that I've made. Uh, is collision with player. And once an enemy collides with the player, then you want to go to a game over state, which is another boolean you got to keep track of. Sound effects. Whenever your bullet collides with an enemy, play a sound effect. Background music. Uh, changing those circles and rectangles to actual sprites. Having a score uh, that tracks whenever you kill an enemy. Uh, one thing I'll mention about score real quickly uh, that I mentioned a little bit earlier, I think the precision of a number value only goes up to like 32,000, like 2 to the 8th, or something, no, no, 2 to the 14th, something like that. So if you actually roll over, then you're going to start getting a negative score. So uh, at first I started out using score and assign 100, so I had to delete that, remove that, and just to add score add and assign one and then multiply that by a hundred or just display two static zeros behind it for a hundred. Uh, added some power-ups for faster shooting and longer shooting. Um, see what am I doing? Yeah, okay. Uh, so, and also spawning enemies. That's something I've kind of flip-flopped on. At first I had it where it would spawn enemies at a regular rate, but then I decided, hey, it looks a lot better if it looks like a classic Space Invaders where all the enemies are on the screen at the same time. Uh, I didn't get into enemy shooting back yet. That's a new feature that I'd, I'd have to add. 
and increased di difficulty. I had a couple of different ways of tackling this because you don't want the game to be super simple all the way through. So at first I had it where the enemies sped up as the game progressed, but then I decided just to make the enemies take more hits as you play through the game. And I didn't get around to adding a background image. So exit out of this and load simple shooter improved and run this so okay so you got the shooting now the different enemies the sprites added in and there's the power-ups right there so, the ones at the top take two hits to defeat while the ones in green just take one really bad at this game yeah, so as you pick up the orange orbs right there, it makes you shoot faster. And you can see in the, in the upper left-hand corner, it will show you your score, and also your fire rate and the distance uh, that you're shooting. So, uh, the only different, difference between the levels <clears throat> is that you get more of the red enemies that take two hits to these two guys over here. And then when the enemies get all the way to the bottom, they'll wrap around back at the top. Then you just press the circle key, or X, to get to the next level. So, yeah, you just get more of their Okay. Yeah, that music... <laughs> Dylan, it's a good thing you can't hear the music, because it's really horrible music <laughs> that I made right there. Uh, but yeah, it, this gets really gets really hairy really fast. And a lot of things in there I tried, like, oh, I had the rectangle in there, then I want to remove that, replace it with a sprite, and choosing the different images, depending on whether they're a stronger enemy or not. Uh, I added the new loop for power-ups, and you, there's like some state control in here. If you complete the in, if you complete the level, display hey level clear, you're the winner. Press go to the next level, or if you died, game over. I guess I didn't show the game over state, but it's very similar to uh, the winner screen. Um, the bullets are still just circles, so that'd be one improvement. Maybe have a particle effect or something like that. Um, yeah, but for every like sequence of bullets or enemies, I basically have an equivalent update or draw function just to keep things clear, keep things simple. Uh, so each bullet has its own update code and each enemy has its own draw code. Then I have a collision method for, for each possible collision point, whether the enemy's colliding into the player or the bullets colliding into the enemy. So, like I said, it gets, gets pretty Harry, once you get into it, have a make level function for <clears throat> looping through and spawning the enemies, and then a spawn enemy function, which basically sets up the enemy and its basic properties. And then a restart, which restarts all of the, uh, or reinitializes re all the variables. I don't know if you can call init again. So, basically, to improve this, I would probably remove a lot of the initialization out of underscore init and just call restart game right here. That may make that a little bit cleaner. Okay, so as far as documentation, you can find the official documents on the Lexalawful website.
go here, paste that in. So they got a lot of different like user manuals. I found this one to be very helpful. It's just like a, a cheat sheet. Click on that. And it gives you, like I said, a lot of the earlier, a lot of the operators and command line options and your drawing primitives that I mentioned earlier and some of the basic functions and things like that. I'm not getting into the mapping, but you can create maps and things like that. I think you still have to like write all of the camera movement code and all the collision code for a map yourself. So definitely not for beginners. Um, and yeah, all your math functions are over here. And usually you can figure out what it is, like SQRT for square root, R&D for rand. The only one that's kind of weird is that mid, which is basically a clamp. Um, there's also a pretty good wiki out there for a reference for Pico 8. Open that. It's actually on fandom.com wikia. So it, it tells you how to get started, how to play games. And that's the other thing. If you want to get Pico 8 and you just want to play games, that's perfectly fine too. You don't have to make you don't have to uh, make games to get Pico 8 if you just want to play a lot of games. There's a lot of stuff out there, a lot of good games. And references, and one that I mentioned here is the Lua. So if you're getting starting started with Lua. This is a pretty good guide right here for a lot of the different operations and things like that. And I mentioned the cheat sheet. So I was also wanting to mention this other tool. It's called Tick80. And this looks like it's a, almost a carbon copy of Pico 8. I saw this used for one of the Ludum Dari entries that I played last time. But it's the same thing. Uh, you know, actually, the nice thing about this, I mean, it's free. And let's see, you can play it directly on create. And it plays right in your browser. You just click start. And you can actually download it as well. Maybe it's a little bit slower, <laughs> especially for the web build. But yeah, it's the same thing. You press escape, you go. So instead of update, it has this tick function, T-I-C, all in capitals. I don't know if it has difference. Yeah, so tick 80 actually distinguishes between lowercase and uppercase. So that's one difference. Uh, but yeah, I guess just type run, same thing, hello world. And it's exact, almost exactly the same. It's got a sprite editor. Got a map editor, sound effects editor, and music editor. So I really haven't jumped into Tick80 yet. I don't, so I can't say if it's superior to Pico8 or not. Uh, it does look like it has a higher token count, higher ceiling, six, 65,000 characters you can use. So yeah, that's something definitely also to look into if you want to uh, try something out similar before buying Pico8. There is a pro version of this. I think it, if you get the pro version for $5, then you can like edit uh, in text format. And that's one another downside to Pico8 uh, is you have to use their editor, and it's very limited in how many characters you can have on a screen. So I'm constantly always pressing the home and end keys to see the rest of my code. So it'd be really nice if I could just export this into a text file and use my own text editor. And then there may be ways to do that, but I, I just don't know how to do that yet. So anyway, that's uh, that's Pico 8. <laughs> um, 
So, yeah. So, Dylan, uh, any questions about Pico-8? Or <laughs> no, that was a good introduction. It, it reminds me a lot of XNA in the sense of, you know, you've got your update and your draw calls and, you know, everything else you kind of have to do yourself, which... I remember being really satisfying when I was actually writing XNA code, but now that I'm using Unity, um, it just feels like reinventing the wheel. But I, I mean, I can see that the value is if if you're using Unity or Game Maker or something like this, you've got tons and tons of different options. And if you limit those options, it kind of lets you play around a little bit more without necessarily feeling the pressure to do, you know, everything that you could be doing in a unity or game maker yeah i kind of feel like it puts everybody on a common playing field you got if you really want to limit yourself and have everyone with the same kind of look and feel and everything and you're not going to get a lot of pre-existing asset you're not going to get any asset dumps yeah. with pico 8 <laughs> so that's the one nice thing about it but yeah like my one problem with uh xna was like Again, there was no concept of a room or a screen. So if you want to switch from title screen to your game to an, it's like you actually had to write if then code, or actually had like some screen switching uh, functionality that I wrote myself just to keep everything straight. Can you in Lua? Can you pass around functions as objects? I think so. I, th I think so. I think I saw that somewhere in there. Because it seems like you could write, if if you can, it seems like you could write a, you know, some code that's like, okay, here's my set of scenes. I'm currently on scene five, and then that tells you what code to what function to run for your update, what, what function to run for your draw. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a good way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. you like I remember we had those ways in XNA of kind of working around those issues. Yeah, and that'd be better than like a switch statement or something. Or yeah. If then mess. <laughs> yeah, if you. I think yeah. the way I did it in XNA is I had a object that was a current screen, and then whatever I wanted the current screen to be, I would just assign my screen object to the current screen, and then it would start rendering that. And I think current screen. I think the screen object was like an abstract class with its own update and its own uh, draw. So whatever was assigned to the current screen object instance variable, it would call its draw and its update. So Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It just seems you have to jump through more hoops to do it in Lua. Yeah, it's a good thing that we have Unity now. It's like, okay, we just have, we can create as many objects as you want and each object has its own draw call and its own update. So yeah, so. I mean, I've heard people talk about it. I've I've got a copy through Humble Bundle, and mm. after after seeing this, I'm a little more likely to play around with it because, yeah, starting from scratch is you know, like you're you're literally writing command line scripts, like you were showing there, and that's that's a pretty big jump to make. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be really popular. I've seen a lot of games made with it, and yeah, anybody out there wanting to start with with Pico 8, I'd definitely recommend looking at the examples. And yeah, starting simple. I was going to do a Tetris game, I just ran out of time, but it wouldn't be yeah. too hard to do a Tetris game. But Yeah, I feel like the, the advantage you have is because it, it kind of has object-oriented functions and, and, and things like that. Um, you can do some of those things that I imagine 
an actual console from that time would be it'd be much harder to do. Yeah, I think the problem that a lot of people will probably have is like, hey, I want to make Super Mario Brothers, so somebody will go out and buy Pico Eight, and it's like, okay, how do? And that is another valid approach, and I don't want to tell everybody it's like you have to start out making rectangles and circles and moving them around you can like get that sample from the demos and say hey i just want to modify some aspect i want to make the character move faster that's another valid way of getting started that's kind of like how i learned just poking around with other people's programs like the old gorillas and the nibbles game and q basic just getting in there and playing around yeah um Actually, I guess I do have a couple of questions. Like, is there? It's everything is contained in one code file, right? Like, yes. there's not a way you can. Okay. As far as I know, um, I'm sure someone out there watching this will say, "Hey, you can do this or that, or download this plugin, and you can edit it in a text editor." Which it doesn't work by default. I mean, there may be ways to do it, but yeah. Yeah, because I, I I figure that that would be one way around the fact that there aren't a ton of helper functions. Is you yeah. can just build your own standard library. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. it. Yeah, I guess the only way would be just to like copy and paste. I mean, you do have Control C and Control V, so you can like write K. Oh, the other thing that I hate about this is like say, hey, I want to find my update function. Oh, I need to share out again. Uh, share screen, screen, screen. So I want to find my update function. So I do a control F and I want to search update. Well, it turns that, but to find like, if I want to find update bullets, then I actually got to do control F update again and control F update again. It's like, give me an F3. Or, or Can you do control G? Control, that may work. Um, yeah, because I remember in, or is that? Let me see, update, control G. Oh, that works. Yeah, because I know a lot of some text editors have that. Yeah, I didn't know about Control G. I learned something. <laughs> I I never use it. I just know I've seen it. Yeah, I think I usually just press like N or something in most text editors and things like that. But uh, yeah, so yeah, that's Pico Eight. I mean, the only thing that I, there, and I'll I'll also say if anybody out there wants to learn how to do music in Pico 8, there's a lot better uh, examples than what I have right here because this sounds horrible. But you can get in there and like start messing around with like how the volume drops off and all this other good stuff, and I just haven't figured it out yet. And it seems like it's pretty in-depth, so I don't know if I'll ever dig into the Pico 8 yeah, music yeah. editor. So I see it's. It looks like you're playing sounds at a particular pitch. I'm assuming yeah. that's yeah. the key. Yeah. What are the other three numbers? I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Let's see here. If I can go up. Uh, so basically, you create your melody right here, mm -hmm. and then it translates over into your music file. So I want to add this. And then I just click on this to add. Oh, so those so those different sections aren't individual sound effects. Those different sections are like you're you're copying the result of a sound effect into exactly. 
Okay, that makes sense. So you can play like two at the same time. But yeah, first you got to create the sound in here, then you move. It's kind of like uh, PX Tone, where you create your yeah. sound effects, then you import that in. But here you're actually doing a a sequence of sounds or a sequence of tones, and then you just left click to increase, or right click. So you have four different channels that you can have running at the same time. Then I think these play sequ sequentially from 0, 0, 0, 1, 0, 2, 0, 3, and 0, 4. But you can, like, set these breakpoints. So it's like, okay, I don't want this to repeat. I want to play 0, 0, then 0, 1, and maybe assign this music right here or something. Then I want it to loop back to 1. So it'll play this. Then it should go back to zero zero after this is finished. Oh, maybe it won't. <laughs> maybe in the actual game it'll actually leap after that point. <clears throat> so yeah, I really haven't figured out the music editor with this yet. But yeah, it does a lot. I mean, I wish you could hear this, but uh, it does have a lot of different waveforms. Like the one thing I said I couldn't figure out is deleting the notes because left click will add add notes and right click will also add notes so maybe it's control no control shift i don't know how to delete notes that you lay down so but yeah it's it's pretty cool to play with and uh yeah and if you're interested in the mapping that's a a, a topic for another day but you can create maps in is here. that like tile maps kind of like using tiled yeah let me uh load lex Yes. Escape it. So here's a, <clears throat> a map right here that I made for that Lexip game. Okay. So <clears throat> that, that makes sense when you were talking about, like, moving the camera around. Yeah. So basically, I think the code, and this probably has some nasty code in it as well, but uh, <clears throat> I think... Let me find camera. Move camera. And I'll use my nice new Control-G command <laughs> camera. Uh, should be, yeah, move camera. So basically I take the camera location and assign it to the player's location minus this offset. Then if the camera is less than zero, then move it out. Don't let it go all the way. But, uh, but yeah, I, I want to say that you still have to write your own collision detection with these, with the walls. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, I guess you can like place things in here, or place the walls, and I think you actually can get a reference to where these tiles are. It's just whenever you get that reference, and you gotta figure out whether it's collided or not yourself. Okay. Okay, I guess that'll wrap it up for uh, July 2019. Uh, appreciate Dylan you joining uh, DylanWolf.com DylanWolf on Twitter and check out his Twitch stream we try to do a simulcast or a live Twitch stream as we're doing this uh, you can always find the video on uh, noxgamedesign.org check out uh, the Twitter account social media account for noxgamedesign uh, at noxgamedesign I'm GA Tech Grad on social media and my website is levidsmith.com. Uh, check us out on iTunes and uh, Stitcher and Google Music and all those other cool places. And I guess that'll wrap it up and we'll see everybody back in a month.
Thank you.